This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. We are in a study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and so if you have your copy of the scriptures, I'm going to invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue hardcover copy probably in the chair pocket there in front of you. We have been studying this passage now for, for some time, and we are at a place in, in this letter from Paul to a church in Corinth. He's been addressing issues in this church that he planted, and we've already identified that it's a church that we can identify with, kind of cosmopolitan, kind of affluent, uh, and messed up, which is why we titled the series A Beautiful Mess. He's now gotten into this section of, of teaching about spiritual gifts. And what we've learned about this church is that, first of all, they had lots of spiritual gifts. They, they'd been blessed by God. They had all kinds of abilities. But there was something wrong. And so Paul's trying to correct their abuse of these things. You see, theirs was a culture when, uh, where oratory, debate, speeches was uh, almost a, a national sport. And so they would engage in this, and that, that kind of habit came right over into the church. And so before you knew it, different people with different gifts, different speaking, different teaching, they developed their favorite teachers, and, and they would compete in a sense. So he opens chapter 12, verse 1, this way. Now about... The gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Again, they had lots of gifts, but uninformed in the sense that they, they didn't know how they were to be used, what God's purpose was in using them. They were spiritually immature. They were picking sides. They were uh, living like the world around them, but still trying to have little speeches and spiritual experiences at church like they were very spiritual um, you know, we, we live in a culture of competition. So much of our, of our culture and our economic setting, it, it's based on competition. May the strongest win. And, and not all of that is bad. We see the benefits. But, but there's a danger when we start to apply the idea of competition to spiritual things. And that's precisely what Corinth had begun to do. They were on a dangerous and destructive path. They had figured out that certain gifts got more attention than other gifts. And so they began to prefer those demonstrative gifts. In fact, there was kind of a, a frenzy of who could use these, especially verbal gifts, and if you could use them well, it, it, you were understood to be more spiritual. And if you could demonstrate it in some uh, dynamic way, some surprising way, some shocking way, the bigger the display, the better for you personally. You were winning spiritual points. Paul says that is not what the Spirit intended when he gave them. Now, last week we started this conversation, and I acknowledge that there's lots of baggage about spiritual gifts among us and all of Christendom, at least in this country. 
There's all kinds of baggage, and it all depends on what your experiences have been so far. If you were raised in a Pentecostal charismatic church where you saw or experienced these, these, uh, all of these gifts, including all of the more exotic ones or the, the energetic ones, the, those demonstrative ones, and if you experience those, then no one can talk you out of anything but the fact that those things are still at work today. And that's not necessarily my choice today. If you were raised in a church where those things were like ignored, like mm, that's just not, that's just off, like wrong. In fact, last week I tried to make fun of both sides. Apparently I did well because I heard from both of you. <laughs> so in one, one extreme, you've got people basically bouncing and barking and foaming at the mouth. On the other side, you've got people who are sitting on their thumbs. The impression is that no response is the most spiritual. So depending on what your experience is, you're going to come at this, and there's nothing much I can do about it today. In fact, I'm not interested in convincing you of anything. However, I want to point out to us that Paul is addressing one of those extremes. And the one that he's addressing is the one that's over on the demonstrative side. Not because it's happening, but because of why it was happening. Remember, Paul wrote, he said uh, in verse 4 of chapter 12, there are different kinds of gifts, as Pastor Jim mentioned, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That's the irony that we talked about last week. How is it possible that all of these gifts could create a sort of division a hierarchy, a pecking order in the church. How could your set of spiritual gifts and the way that you use them somehow make you more spiritual than someone else? Especially when all of those gifts came from the same spirit for the same purpose, and they're given to everyone as he sees fit. So it's, it's actually contrary to the very nature of why they were given, that they would create uh, division, Something that's supposed to unify God's people instead is being used to divide and make winners and losers. I mean, after all, if you had a choice, which would you rather be? If you're American, if you're Western, you want to be a winner. And so before you know it, it takes over in a church, and the focus is on being on the winning team. So what we said was the gifts were from the Spirit. The service that he mentions came from the Lord, the sacrifice. The power came from God. Notice that the entire Trinity is involved in this, this gifting of abilities. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's obvious why these gifts, these abilities, these these uh, demonstrations were given. It's for the good of everyone. And it's, it's right here that our study kind of leaves last week and starts on this week, even though it's really time for us to pray and go home, isn't it? So, last week I said that it's, it's, it's not hard to remember where to find the central passages on spiritual gifts. All you have to do is look for the twelves and the fours. The twelves and the fours. First Corinthians 12, there's actually two lists there. 
Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Well, on this chart, I've kind of tried to lay out for you, and, and uh, uh, I didn't give you notes, and I'll explain why in just a minute. This won't be the last time you'll see this chart, but uh, it's actually in your Bible, and you can go write it down for yourself. But I want you to notice something that we mentioned last week about these gifts, and that is, first of all, none of those lists match. And it kind of makes us wonder. I mean, if God knew which gifts he gave, you'd think he would get the list right. Or maybe the first list was right, and then he went, oh, wait, no, I forgot some. And then he added, and he goes, oh, no. And then some are repeated somewhere, and some aren't. And there's no real apparent order. So we could make a few observations, even just looking at these lists, before we talk about what those words mean. Because that's what you want to get to, isn't it? You want me to tell you what those are and how to know what you have so you can enjoy it. Or uh, get one of our pastors off your back when you can prove to them, it's not my gift. These lists don't match perhaps because there was no intention to communicate that there is such a thing as a complete list. Even if these were the only gifts the Spirit gave, when you add in the fact that each of them is given in a different kind of a mixture, kind of a gift mix, you've got two of this and one of that, you've got, and, and every person is different, so that the way it comes out through every personality would be completely different anyway, not to mention the fact that there are other items that perhaps we would identify as spiritual gifts, at least we see them, even Old Testament, New Testament. The point is perhaps that we're not supposed to get the idea that there's a single complete list after all, what's Paul been saying about gifts is that they are so various and diverse. There's all kinds of options and, and variations of these abilities. Now, there are a few things that, that are sort of the same. We can kind of, I got my little laser pointer. I've been waiting forever to use that. Look at that. Okay. I'm trying not to, trying not to blind anyone. Okay. Um, but you notice that... The second list in 1 Corinthians 12 and the list in first, uh, Ephesians 4, there's some, there's some things that are similar there, apostles, prophets. 1 Corinthians says, oh, since evangelists, I can push the right button. Apparently the laser button is right next to the forward button. <laughs> this is why I don't conceal carry, by the way. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Everybody's making fun of that guy that thought he was tasering somebody. I didn't make fun. I said, I, I understand. You could, you could, that's terrible. But anyway, yeah, I do not conceal carry. So you're safe. So right here, and I'm, now I'm just going to be honest with you, because um, normally I'm not. I don't know why we say those things. Um, what I normally do right now, what I would normally do is that we would begin to unpack what those words are, and what they mean, or what we think they mean. And I would tell you that we're not really sure, some of them. To be honest, I don't think anyone knows in any authoritative sense what the difference is between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. I mean, I know the word wisdom, I know the word knowledge, they're not the same. I could extrapolate. I'm just saying biblically, eh, we don't know. But normally we'd work our way through here. And then, and then perhaps I would, and we still may do this, I'd hand out a little uh, spiritual gifts test. 
and you mark off which ones are your high points. Some of you heard my story about when I first did that. <laughs> Took my little test, added it up, came back, said it said I had the gift of exfoliation. <laughs> I, that's what I thought it said. I, and I was embarrassed. I was like, I have a woman's gift. You know, that's ridiculous. I, didn't, I thought exhortation sounded ridiculous. I wanted something powerful. Leadership prophet, apostleship, something. You know. And instead I got these silly little things. So maybe we would hand out a, a spiritual gifts test and you'd find out what it says or you would make up answers so that you'd get the gift that you want. And, and, and then I would encourage you to find ways to use those gifts to serve here. And that's usually the way these series of messages go. In fact, it probably is where the rest of this will land to some extent. I guess what I have to say is that this week's message went completely off the rails. I, I can't even tell you, can't even tell you what I thought I would be telling you because God messed it all up. I thought it started during the concert of prayer. My wife actually said, no, it started a couple weeks earlier, and she referred to an experience that I had a few weeks prior to this. <laughs> She's probably right. But during the concert of prayer, which, by the way, was a really special time, and I want to encourage you now, if you didn't make it to the concert of prayer, and you weren't in the hospital or in jail. Shame on you. <laughs> Don't miss it the next time we do it. Anyway, during the concert of prayer, people are moving around, going to different stations as they want. And for some reason, I just wanted to get away from all the stations. It was, and so I came up here, and I knelt down, and I started praying. And as I was praying, I could almost hear the Lord say, I'm tired of you talking at me. Because what I was doing, I was praying for all of you, praying for the church, praying for our churches together, praying for the future, praying for the... I was just praying, praying, praying. And I almost heard God say, I'm so tired of listening to you talk at me. Why don't you just talk with me? And at that moment, I was reminded of what I'm supposed to be teaching which is that God sent the Spirit to, a, to dwell within His children. And that Spirit gives gifts, and He is present with us. As I knelt there, I, almost, I could almost, in my kind of comical mind's eye, and none of you really know what it's like in here. You don't, that's scary. But, but you have a sense of what my... And so I'm sitting there praying, and I hear God say, I'm tired of you talking at me. And I was quiet, and then I kind of opened my eye. I looked over here. It was, it was, I did not see a spirit. I promise I didn't. But I almost sensed the spirit sitting next to me going, I've been here, but you just don't talk to me. And it's easy for us, especially when you know that the scriptures are important in your spiritual life and you value study and knowledge, it's easy to start rehearsing all the things that we know about the Spirit. I started kind of telling him everything I knew. He says, I know, I'm him. And I realized that something was maybe a little off. That was our quote from last week. Um, but I've already moved past there. And so, and so instead of 1 Corinthians, we're going to jump into this passage. John 14. 
Jesus is having some of his most intimate time with the disciples. And forgive me, we're going to read through a good portion of this passage. I just want you to hear the intimacy. Jesus with his disciples before he's going to go to the cross. And once again, all he does is he keeps telling them about his father. Don't you guys get it? Like everything you hear and see from me, I'm getting straight from him. We're one. And if he and I are one, it means that you and I are one. So he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. We almost have to stop right there, don't we? Don't let your heart be troubled by news reports and terrorist attacks. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you also will be where I am. I'm coming to get you. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So then again, now Jesus stops talking in a disciple talks, which means a little moment for stupidity. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Aren't we often tempted to think that the way is this series of ideas, this series of truths? Everybody's a sinner. God hates sin. Penalty for sin is death. Right? Jesus died to make the payment for our sin. He offers eternal life as a free gift. All you have to do is believe. We've got these little steps. I do. That's how I explain the gospel. We tend to think of the way as being a series of mental ascents and steps and decisions. Jesus says, I am the way. Me. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip, another duh interlude. Lord, that's it. Show us the Father, and and that'll be enough for us. (laughs) Jesus just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah, good idea. Show us the Father. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me, Mike? Don't you know me? This deeply personal. He's not preaching. He's talking to Philip. Don't you know me, Philip? After all, I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I wish we could talk about what that means. Doing things greater than him. We will someday. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We'll talk about that one day soon, too. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, here we go, another advocate to help you, and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will live in you. Skipping down to verse 24. All this I have spoken while I was still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. I have one fear this morning that I have to confess to you. It is easy for me to work so hard on my thinking, on my theology, on my study of God's word, which, by the way, I was reminded this week that the Bible is not part of the Trinity. I was stunned to think about how much time I get to spend in the Word and how ironic it would be if I spend that much time in the Word and I don't spend any of that time with the Spirit. It's not automatic. What does the Spirit of God do for us? He gives these gifts. It says that he gives these manifestations. And I, I looked closely at those words, these manifestations. We tend to think of spiritual gifts as these little inanimate things that we get. Little abilities so that we can do something productive at church. But the real idea there is that there are, there are little parts of himself. They are part of him. If you ever watch some of these family tree, family roots kind of shows and who do you think you are and my older sister when I was out there in California to see her, it's funny, I don't spend much time with her at all and at one point we were talking and she stopped and she said, I see our father in you so much. Huh. But you see the difference there is that my father's dead. She's just talking about some physical traits. The spirit is not dead. When we talk about spiritual gifts, I'm going to explain that I'm a cessationist, that I think that some of the sign gifts ended with the apostles. And we'll talk about who does and doesn't believe that, and, and we'll talk about why. And, 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 but I guess I have to remind myself and remind us that even if those sign gifts did die out, the Holy Spirit didn't die. Well, I mean, well, that's silly, Mike. I mean, we all know that. Really? Because I know that too, and yet something's wrong. 
I live my life like a practical atheist when it comes to the spirit. What is it that you and I need from him? Well, he does that little gizmo thing up in heaven about sealing us and everything and, and whatever his thing, you know, he does this. But we get the idea that everything he does is kind of up there, kind of like maintenance for when we get to heaven or something. And we forget that he's the one Jesus sent to be in us, with us. What is it that the Spirit does for us? What does it mean when, John, I mean, when Jesus in John 10 said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. What does it mean when he says, My sheep know my voice? Are you hearing voices? I hope so. Not those, not extreme, not distractive, not like uh, in need of lithium type voices. Oh, but the voice that says, hang on there, pastor. Why do you keep telling God everything that you want him to do on behalf of everyone? Why is it that you don't actually talk with the spirit who's sitting right there with you? The spirit who says, why do you keep going to church acting like everything is fine when everything is not fine? Why is it that you act like you're walking with me when we haven't talked for months? Those voices that say, why don't you do it? You can do it. You could help. Why don't you give it? Do you hear voices? Paul says this in Romans 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Many of us have been trained in the way of wisdom to make good decisions. And now that we know how to make good decisions, we don't need the Spirit of God at all. We just make the best decision we can and trust God's sovereignty that it'll work out, unless it doesn't. What are you going to do? God's in control, so it's going to be the way He wants it anyway. Why pray? And yet, the Spirit is here saying, I have something to offer. I have something to say if you ask. How many decisions are you wrestling with right now? What would be good? What's the best way? And you analyze over here and you yell over there, do a little SWAT chart, strengths, weaknesses, pros, cons. <laughs> Stop. Ask. He's not saying ask instead of doing those things. Do all those things. Make your SWAT charts. That's great. You think it's SWAT charts. Never mind. Make your lists. But before you think you're going to decide, are you consciously stopping and saying, what should I do? You say, well, I can do that, but I'm not going to hear anything. Oh, that's great. Great. Because this is an, this, the spirit response to faith. You pretty much just shut him down. Is it possible he does want to talk to you? Is it possible that the reason you haven't heard is because you haven't stopped long enough to ask? You're willing to go sit, kneel someplace and say, I'm, 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 I'm listening. I will listen. I'll keep listening until I hear from you. What should I do? He says, 
his children are led by the Spirit. Are you anxious about what comes next? I get anxious about some things. And I notice something. I get anxious about the things that I don't feel led about. And I do not get anxious about the things that I feel led about. It's not my problem, it's his. John says this, but if you have, but you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. Is it possible that the Spirit of God has a job for you that he can empower you? How would you describe a believer who, who isn't tapping into the Spirit? If the Spirit brings comfort, then that child without the Spirit feels anxiety. The Spirit is the source of power for the Christian life. What is it that you are positive you cannot change in your life because you just don't have the moxie to do it? It's because perhaps the Spirit has the power and you're just not tapping that? Is it because... Frankly, you don't like what he says because he convicts. And then I feel bad. I especially feel bad when I have no intention of actually changing anything. So I'd appreciate it if he'd just be quiet. And he is. And you're alone in this. Worse than that, if this can happen to me, then that means it could be true of all of us. We are marching into the future and not being led. We're reaching out to do ministry without his empowerment. We're trying to accomplish his will without using the tools that he's given us. You know what the end result is, I think? You end up just like Corinth. Winners, losers, the inside circle, the outside circle. Those who get their way, those who don't. And it just will keep cycling through. You see, church only works when it's supernatural. It's better if you just come to church, get your little speech, get the little song. That was nice. That was nice. That was nice. That was nice. And leave. It's predictable. We feel in control. You know me. I'm not promoting wild-eyed, crazy, foaming at the mouth, barking like a dog. Although I do a pretty good little Boston Terrier bark. I'll do that for you later if you want. But... <laughs> That's not what I'm promoting, but I don't want to accidentally promote no spirit. And once I became convicted of that, I begin to see signs of that throughout my life. Where do I get off teaching others? But he wants to teach. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead to you. Is it possible? And I wish I could tell you how this is going to work. If you're willing to, to listen to the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, if you're not, this is all a bunch of mumbo-jumbo to you. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you how it will work out. Neat, you know, clean, neat, not weird. It's just going to be fine. I wish I could promise you how it's going to all. I can't. Because he isn't predictable and he's not safe. 
quote C.S. Lewis, but he's good. Are you ready to let go of the control? To acknowledge that he is here? He is talking to you now as I'm talking to you. He wants to convict. He wants to encourage. Some of, somebody in the room wants to jump up and go, you are exactly right, and you know what else? And you want to chime in with me? Others of you want to cry and repent? Others of you just you need to go talk to somebody alone and say, I am a mess, and I need somebody to help me with this. And some of you who thought that you were in a place of power and authority and service should figure out a way to get down on your knees and start washing feet and serving. Jesus said he would send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and that he would remind us of everything that Jesus said and taught. There's no notes page in, your, in, in the bulletin because I'm not preaching the sermon I thought I was going to preach. This is hardly a sermon. This is just an exhortation and a confession. I don't know about you. Do you want to just plow ahead with church for the next year on our own? I've done that enough. So here we are studying this letter from Paul to the city of Corinth. And you, let's be honest now, you've been getting smug because they are messed up. <laughs> they are kooky and we've got them beat. And I think what Paul would say is, he'd say, hey, uh, Crossroads. So, okay, so they're a little bit over the top over there. But at least they're looking and listening to the Spirit. What is your problem? The Spirit of God is not our enemy. He wants to come alongside and empower and comfort and accomplish Jesus' work. I want, going forward, I want to be a man who listens to the Spirit more. I want to be a pastor who leads as the Spirit leads more. Do you want to be a church that walks with and follows the Spirit? That's all I've got. The closing of the service is really up to you. We've got some music. Um, I don't know how we end this. Because once I sit down, it's all on you and the team, and you wrap things up. I don't know how we end and that's spooky. But as we sing, would you listen? Perhaps you want to share with somebody before you're even done here today. Let's play. Start with, I'm going to open in prayer, but I'm not closing in prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we address you. You are our Lord and Savior. 
You sent the Spirit. He asked the Father to send the Spirit, who now is here among us as this advocate and this comforter. And we are no better than the church in Corinth. We, we might lean to the other end of this extreme. It's no better. And so I ask you, publicly now I ask you, to forgive me for so often overlooking you. For me personally, it's not because I'm afraid, because I'm not afraid of you. But sometimes in my, my effort to be faithful, I just work too hard. I work too much. You gave Israel a Sabbath. I think you want us to take one. You want to work and you can't do it until we're done. And so for Crossroads, we believe that you love our community, that you want to reach others. We, we know that's true. But now we realize you really won't be able to use us unless we listen for your voice. And so now each of us has this opportunity just to listen for your voice. Word of God speak. Spirit of God speak. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.